0: Main, the main Torah reading was from Tazria, which um, relates to something real you know, fun reading about um, reading about skin diseases. You know, sometimes translated leprosy, although it's not it's not to say what we clinically refer to as leprosy in modern medicine. But the the main Torah reading was from for the, the weekly Torah reading was from the third book of the Bible, Vayikra 12, Leviticus chapter 12. And in twelve three, twelve verse three, well the first well the first three verses, Adonai said to Moshe, tell the people of Israel, if a woman conceives and gives birth to a boy, she'll be unclean for seven days, with the same uncleanness as in Nida when she is having her menstrual period. On the third day, you will read that verse very quickly, of course. But um, on the third, the third and the, I mean the third verse, on the eighth day the baby's foreskin is to be circumcised. So um Moshe Feinstein, the rabbi who in the, the, the 1900s was the primary, at least the United States, um, halachic authority the, um, for um, for, um, for giving de- decisions and advice on how people live specifically. What, what in this situation do I do and what in that situation? He writes, brit Milah is performed, circumcision is performed on the eighth day, based upon verse, verse three. The qualification of a sacrifice is on the eighth day, The induction of the Kohanim takes place on the eighth day. Likewise, Midrash explains this is the reason why a newborn animal may only be sacrificed after its eighth day. The significance of the eighth day needs explanation. The Torah commanded us to allow eight days, including the Shabbat, to pass before bringing any sacrifice. Shabbat is testimony that Hashem created the world, hence the need to experience a Shabbat as an indication that a sacrifice is acceptable only if one who brings it realizes that whatever he brings is not his own. It is not his own, but belongs to Hashem, the creator. I remember someone telling me once how, well, he believed, um, he he said tithing is a good idea because that's already God's. And then I give above that, which I don't know. I'm not, I don't, I'm, from what I've heard here, say here, in, um, in many charitable institutions, tax-exempt congregations, if more people tithe, it would be a thing that congregations would not object to. But it's not a matter of, well, the 10% is God's, and then I give above that. It's, it, you have to understand, before you can really give, it's everything belongs to God. Similarly, sanctification of the kohanim, the priests, and the mishkan, it's contingent upon the belief that Hashem is the creator of everything. It's impossible to build a mishkan if one thinks that he is giving his own possessions as a gift to Hashem. Hashem does not need our gift. The mishkan can be built only if people realize That Hashem is the true owner of all of their possessions. Therefore, when he requests that they give him a gift without stating its purpose, it's a declaration that he is the owner. And he, the owner, requests that it be returned to him. Only with such donations can the Mishkan be constructive in a, a latter part of of the parashah the weekly parashah in chapter 13 verse 45 the i had it right here 1345, and then says, Everyone who has tsarat, sores, whatever the skin condition, which some translations is leprosy, which would include that, but it goes beyond just what we would clinically, leprosy. Everyone who has tsarat, sores, is to wear torn clothes and unbound hair, cover his upper lip and cry, unclean, unclean, or, or it's translation or something similar, like, like impure or something along those lines. As long as he has sores, he will be unclean. Since he's unclean, he must live in isolation. He must live outside the camp. So he's yelling this out, the the um, person with Sarat, the literal meaning of this verse, according to Abraham Torsky, who is a, he's an Orthodox rabbi and he's a psychiatrist. So you'd really have to be crazy to want to do all the trouble to be both those, but. Um, <laughs> It's like they say, you know, how many psychiatrists does it take to change a light bulb? And they say, just one, but the light bulb is to really want to change. But the, um, <laughs> Rabbi Torsky has a very good commentary he wrote on the on the weekly parashot. He said, the literal meaning of this verse is that the metzora, often translated leper, was to alert people of his approach. So they did not become contaminated by contact with him. But there's an additional interpretation of this, is that, that, It reads, and he who is unclean calls everyone else unclean. So it's not just himself, but in a sense, he's calling other people unclean. Thus interpreted, this verse supports a Talmudic statement, which I'd like to look at briefly here. Talking about people um, are saying unclean, unclean, but referring it to others. In Kedushin, there is a section which talks about a. it says, "It says he who takes," which you've to look in context. It can be, it can be controversial. Said. he who takes a wife, um, I mean, no, he who takes a wife who is not fitting for him, the writ stigmatizes him as though he plowed the whole world and sown it with salt, as it is said. And these were they which went up from Tel Tel Melah But in the context, it talks about taking a wife unfitting. It means someone who, if a man marries his wife, because for money. Well, I want to marry them because, they, because you know, the, her old man has the big bucks, has the shekelein. Which is probably not the best motivation for marriage. it's a he who takes a wife for the sake of money will of unworthy children. As it is said, they have dealt treacherously against the Lord, for they have borne strange children. And should you think their money is saved to them, therefore it is stated, now shall the new moon devour them and their portions so we have um coming on the new moon then the what does this imply a last a month comes and a month goes and their money is lost so you know trust in in wealth can be it's not the right reason for a marriage of course and it is one day it can be here and then it can be gone and even if you have the wealth you can be gone in one day in a heartbeat and it goes to others for all you worked for but referring in in the um, emphasis upon the the um, the the saying unclean, unclean, yelling out. First to concern. Um, let me see. Here he always marries a, a, man, a wife who is not fit for him, it says. Eliyahu binds him, and the Holy One, blessed is he, flagellates him. Concerning all these, Eliyahu writes, he the Holy One, blessed be he, attests. Woe to him who disqualifies his seed, blemishes his family, and him who takes to wife one who is not fit for him, you know, bearing for money. but also says, um, and Saint Shmuel said, With his own blemish, he stigmatizes others as unfit. So with his blemish, he stigmatizes others, as in the interpretation on the verse yelling, unclean, unclean. He's also calling to others, you're unclean. The Torah anticipated the discovery of psychological mechanism of projection by thousands of years. From this Talmudic statement, a person who insults others generally projects his own defects upon them instead of looking at themselves. The Baal Shem Tov, who was the the basically founder of the modern Hasidic movement, said some people are very critical of others who transgress the Torah commandments, and indeed, it is a mitzvah to try and enlighten a person on the importance of observing mitzvot. But what about being Critical, overly critical of others. In the first gospel, in Matthew 7, 1 through 5, says, Don't judge so that you won't be judged, for the way you judge others is how you'll be judged. The measure with which you measure out will be used to measure to you. Why do you see the splinter in your brother's eye but not notice the log in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye when you have the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly so that you can remove the splinter from your brother's eye. Some people are critical of others, according to the Baal Shem Tov, I said, who transgressed the commandments. And although it is a mitzvah to try and enlighten people, a person, on the importance of observing God's commandments, the Baal Shem Tov teaches, however, that one must do sincere soul-searching to find in what manner we ourselves have been guilty of the behavior we're criticizing in others. Do we first look to what extent are we modeling that behavior of others? It's not... As as Nick pointed out, it's not a matter of you have to be perfect in your knowledge, uh, have a 350 IQ before I can even begin to bring anything else up with someone else. But you have to look. uh, Some people say, well, it's hard for me to hear what you're saying. Your actions are talking too loudly. You have to look. Before we look out the window, spend a little more time looking in the mirror. Just think of how much how wonderful the world would be if each time we're aroused to criticize the fault of another, we would turn our attention first inwardly to work on self-improvement first. In Romans six nineteen, I'd like to point to Romans six nineteen and following. It says um Therefore, what conclusion should we reach? 6:15. Excuse me. Let's go on sinning because we're not under legalism but under grace. Heaven forbid! Don't you know that if you put yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, then of the one whom you are obeying you are slaves, whether of sin which leads to death or of obedience which leads to being made righteous by God's grace? You were once slaves to sin, obeyed from your heart the pattern of teaching. Obeyed from the pattern of teaching to which you were exposed. And after you had been set free from sin, you became enslaved to righteousness. I'm using popular language because your human nature is so weak. For just as you used to offer your various parts as slaves to impurity and lawlessness, which led to more lawlessness, so now offer your various parts as slaves to righteousness, which leads to being made holy, set apart for God. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in relationship to righteousness. But what benefit do you derive from the things of which you are now ashamed? The end result of those things was death. However, now freed from sin and enslaved to God, you do get the benefit. It consists in being made holy, set apart for God, and its end result is eternal life. For what one earns from sin is death, but eternal life is what one receives as a free gift from God in union with Messiah Yeshua, our Lord. Rob Scholl's letter to the Congregation of Rome, which I've been reading in my regular readings, just ha- coincidentally happened to be reading this week, just as sacrifices and financial donations can only be made in their fullest sense of validity when offered with a recognition that properly belong to God anyway. Likewise, the members of our body the body of Messiah, this faith community, Zion, can only be offered in the service of the holy of holy living if we acknowledge that we do not belong to ourselves. We are bought at a price, the shed blood of the Lamb of God. We are only offering ourselves back to Hashem. And that's something good to focus upon in these coming weeks as we approach Pesach, removing the leaven from our belongings and from our lives, the sin from our lives. Sweeping it clean so we can be better servants of Hashem. Offering ourselves back to Hashem. Shabbat shalom.